0: Hello, my name is Joshua Bull. Uh, I'm Ryan Boyce. And I am Alec Feather. And um, Ryan and I are participating in the WorldBuild.ai Build, World project that we have been working on for the past several months. And Alec is a friend that uh, will help us navigate this podcast. So um, first, let's start with the nature of the project. Um, WorldBuild.ai is um, an AI project to predict um, the future of society in 2045 after artificial generalized intelligence arises, and um, we have we have answered the 13 prompts and the two day in the life and the timeline. And now we are doing our non non text media piece, which we've decided to do as a podcast. So um, let's just get right into it. Um, so. Um, the first thing that we need to talk about is information infrastructure. Um, We make a lot of assumptions in our, in our group based on the, uh, um, based on the expectations of the computer technology and society at a certain and other technologies in society at certain points. And um, we need to go through those in order to, um, in order to um, have a basis for the things that we're talking about, so information infrastructure can be separated into three separate categories: um, information processing, information distribution, and information collection. Information uh, information distribution is just essentially the internet. So everyone in, on the planet right now has a has a has a computer and a cell phone, and um, and um, the, the, only, the only thing that can make the distribution of information better is the speed. So um, as, as, um, as, the, as the Internet becomes more of an atlas of civilization where everything is dependent on it, uh, there needs to be an increased speed uh, for, for that. And um, there hasn't been a problem with how much uh, how much um, resources are needed for the internet? So I don't think that's much to discuss at this point. Um, information collection. Um, the thing about AI that isn't really discussed very often when it comes to um, the capabilities of AI in the future is the is the levels of surveillance in a society in order to know things about. The people involved and the resources involved and such. So, um, so, um, so we're gonna, we we have, uh, we're at a point now where everyone's conversations are being recorded from the uh, microphone on your, on your, uh, on your phone and then um, and then um, that information is used to display like ads and such so um, we, we need to explore the um, the limits of surveillance technology in order to um, get an understanding of um, what what we can do next right so um so there are several there are several things that can be re- called surveillance totalities that can dictate uh, what can be done with that information so um the the uh um for example um Uh, It a posh look that we have is that there are enough surveillance resources to record the use and application of every um, Every um, Every resource and service on the planet right, so So what do you do with that information and then um, There's enough surveillance resources to record to record the, in, the information about the entirety of an individual. So they're in, your, your objective, your objective person, you as an objective person could be recorded on a computer. And then um, there's enough resources to record all conversations. And then when uh, augmented contacts and, and um, smart glasses get invented, or get applied to the market they'll be able to record everything that you see so the end goal is to end up producing a one-to-one correspondence of the real world with a virtual world and so that's so that's the that's the limit of, of surveillance so that could be applied to health with like what kind of food you're eating it could be applied to and it can also be applied to the media, like what media you're interpreting. And, and we'll, we'll discuss in the future um, how much, um, how much um, what kind of media you can produce when you have that surveillance capability. And then finally, the, the third aspect to information infrastructure is information processing. So one of the assumptions we make in our in in our prompts is that there will be enough uh resource resources to record record everyone's behavior and then with with the correct learning models predict people's behavior and so and so you don't need a hundred percent accuracy in order to produce legitimate uh, outcomes for how things end up uh resulting in in a certain outcome so um the end goal of this is is essentially to simulate society and 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 distribute resources and and um and um and information in order to have a common uh, to produce a common goal so um, now now we're going to diverge into um, some of the AIs that we believe to exist um, in in the future. So, um, Ryan, do you want to start with that? Um, sure. So, well, I guess first we should probably mention that we were planning on having, or for this world, we're, we're imagining there'd be sort of uh overarching artificial general intelligence that then manages these subsystems of more narrow ais so of these narrow ais you have uh the health diagnostic system where you can predict uh the best choices that an individual can make uh to lead them towards uh, like an optimal healthy lifestyle uh there's also uh an AI that's, that would be in charge of regulating uh, material discipline in which uh, it would manage uh, how resources are used or, or where they can be allotted, like how much each individual can use uh, to ultimately try to uh, reduce the effects of climate change. Um, I'm trying to remember. There's uh, we were going to have an AI system that's in charge of media, like multiverse media, specifically. I'll we'll uh, discuss what multiverse media is in a little bit. Right. Um, uh, let's see. There was a transportation AI. Transportation AI. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think those were the main main systems. If you can remember any of the other
1: ones. So Ryan, as you as you describe it, it sounds like this system of artificial intelligence. Is almost modular in that smaller pieces are each responsible for a different task or a different subject, be it transportation or you know resource optimization more generally or healthcare. Um, and then uh, those modular pieces are managed by uh, one general artificial intelligence. So, uh, so I'm just curious, why is it that uh, why is it that that's the the world that uh, you guys envision? Um, is it is it out of necessity? Is it out of design? Is it just how we think it's likely to emerge? Well, the the thing to
0: remember, and especially in our prompts, is that um, is that one of the biggest concerns with artificial intelligence is that it goes rogue and takes over, and then we have a Terminator, Terminator South system where everyone dies, right? So. Um, we we don't really go into how this could happen, but we we per, we we have decided on a way of producing a um a, the use of gen artificial generalized intelligence that makes it so um so the uh, the use of it is passive. So instead of having an active art generalized artificial intel, artificial generalized intelligence that makes decisions on, um, a, uh, uh and makes active decisions. We, we, we've developed, um, uh, kind of a system for representative hierarchy that based on, that gives people access, higher access to, uh, more executive operations based on their knowledge of certain subjects. So and then and then there's virtual components as well where people have um, where people are where where like kind of robots um, have have kind of a a represent, representation for a certain system and then and then once so the AI makes proposals to this like representative hierarchy and then the AI um and then the ai may, and then op executes those those changes based on what is wanted there so it's it's a way of incorporating the people in a system that doesn't end up becoming totalitarian based on what the ai decides is best for for the system and it and it and allows for uh, cooperation and interactivity to make sure that people uh, are uh people get get their voice hurt
1: so Josh it sounds to me that as you're describing the artificial intelligence in this world you don't envision the artificial intelligence as a controller or a decision maker rather you see it as an objective advisor for people who are the controllers and decision
0: makers in yes world. and and so um, and because that because of uh, a, a friend of ours believes that superintelligence and artificial generalized intelligence will just be making all the decisions at the end. But um, if if certain things end up to the point where artificial generalized intelligence doesn't have the same desires as humans, right, then you end up with you end up with death and destruction and a, a compromise to what civilization really could be.
1: Well that makes a lot of sense because I know that in philosophical circles Discussing AI and artificial intelligence, people are concerned, you know, not just with a hostile artificial intelligence, but even one that has interests that just slightly diverge from human interests, maybe because of programming, maybe because of something emergent in the artificial intelligence. Um, you know, one, one hypothetical that was described to me would be uh, a group of researchers that make an artificial intelligence and they tell that artificial intelligence, we want you to maximize human pleasure. Right, and make sure that you know humans have maximal uh, pleasure and satisfaction at all times. And uh, you know it's not it's not impossible to imagine that AI um, uh, facilitating each human right to be attached to a pleasure-maximizing machine, right? A machine that just pumps every human full of maximum uh, endorphins at all times, right? And uh, you know leaves them in a in a blissed out you know comatose state right and you know although uh, that might meet the objective right of maximizing pleasure right with you know every human in a in a matrix with no stimuli right but just endless endorphins right that might not meet uh, you know other objectives and other things that humans value about agency autonomy uh, maybe exploration or you know Not just the maximization of pleasure, but something else like well-being, right? And so by separating uh, control and power from the AI and by resting that with humans, you make it so that the AI is not only compatible with human interests, but responsive to the kinds of maybe changes that humans might want to suggest or the idiosyncratic preferences of humans, right? Let's say maybe we don't want to just maximize pleasure. Maybe we care about other things.
0: Yeah, so um, that's that's one I think one of the strengths of our design is that um, all of the all of the AI, other than the overseer that is an Oracle, are specialized AIs. They don't not have the ability to um, like go rogue and have their own sort of agency. They're 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 damned by uh, or restricted by the the uh, the limitations of their operations. So. Uh, when you, when you when you restrict the agency of an AI to being just an oracle and, and have it mapped like we're not just talking software too you'd have to end up developing hardware solutions to make sure this ends up functioning properly, but you you would end up um, restricting the pot, the potential of having a uh, uh, an AI go, going rogue.
1: You make you, you make the system safe. Yeah. And uh, compatible with changes in our preferences.
0: Yeah. So um, so now so now let's get into those AI specifically, and um, we're gonna start with um, kind of the way that the way that the uh, The way that um, our resource distribution systems affects um, affect how 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 things are valued and stuff. So, um, so one of the problems with um, money currently is that uh, everything it has kind of an ob- a subjective take to it where um the value of something is not dependent on anything objective it's just based on um, um, what what's marketed and there's a there's a there's an objective value to things but it's not but it's not um it's not based off of anything concrete so uh what we're proposing is something uh, i consi- consistent with like a surveillance currency so going back to the surveillance stuff um, if we reach a point where we can map uh, a one-to-one representation of all the resources and all of the uh, and all of the um, services, and and we can and then we have the ability to make predictions about what people use and how people use it, and then with the use of um, something called material discipline, which we will discuss later on. Um, you can you can kind of simulate the re, the consumption of resources and you can make it so that the objective the objective necessity of a resource and its value can be attained by um, by its its uh, ability to be sustainable and by its uh, and by its uh, need in a society. so, uh, everything would have a direct networked value that would be uh, independent from any subjective um, subjective um, assessment of what is valuable. So it's a completely utilitarian way of looking at this.
1: It sounds to me, Josh, like you're distinguishing between, like we could say that an object might have a market a market value and that's how much someone is willing to pay for that object, or maybe it's the market consensus on what people are willing to pay for that object. You're distinguishing inside of that that value, a utility value for things. That is, what is is their value based on what they do or what should they enable you to do? And so some things have high utility value, like food or a car uh, or medicine, and you care about them because of what they do uh, and what they make possible. Some other things have a high social value, like diamonds or green lawns or uh, luxurious furs. And those things are less valuable because of what they do or what they enable you to do. And they're more valuable because of uh, a social attachment to them. And so maybe they uh, signal something socially. They signal wealth or prestige. Or maybe they're socially important like a, a a, a photograph of a family member. Uh, you know that it's endearing to you not because of uh, anything you can do with it, but because of some social sentimental value. And so here you're focusing on the, the utility of objects in in a, in a world of material discipline.
0: Yes. So let's let's go into what material discipline actually is. So um, so the current status quo for civilization at the moment. Is is putting our lives in jeopardy because um, the way that greenhouse gas emissions are being produced, and the way that uh, things that provide life to um, provide life to um, to us, based on like biomes and stuff, and then the oxygen produced by trees and such, is under massive duress. And then, and then, especially, especially in the West Coast of the United States, um, with drought being so bad, um, the the need to produce, the need to use computer systems and these 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 infrastructures that we're discussing, um, um, we need to use those things to. Uh, produce uh, outcomes that do not uh, that do not um, affect the environment and these these natural resources as 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 much as they do now. So um, so in order to start with that, you need to you need to begin with. Um, You need to you need to quantify every single resource that is is available to a civilization Right, and then you need to simulate outcomes that produce effective means of use that would um, That would be sustainable so for example um, our social constructs are kind of dictate how we consume resources so Material discipline would enable um, the development of social constructs that would be uh, more more enabling to a sustainable future. So, uh, an example. So, if for example, for water, um, do you, Ryan? Do you remember how much lawn? How how what percentage of water is used for lawns? I don't remember the number off the top of my head. It's at least twenty five percent, right? So if 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 we decided that we we just let lawns die and we let natural plants take over the take over the environment, um, we could save approximately at least twenty five percent of the water that we consume on on a day by day basis. And then, for example, um, with toilets. Um, if you if you preserve um, flushing for just solid waste because toilets are actually like the number one thing that uses water, so you could save um, tons of water by just being resourceful with how much water you use when flushing a toilet. And then and and that and that would involve that also involve replacing weight uh, inefficient toilets and such, but. Um,
1: I think it's, uh, it's probably important to point out just the context that, that we're discussing. I think that your project envisions a future, you know, not necessarily of climate utopia, right? But one in which we're kind of dealing with the consequences of long-term, uh, you know, abuse and exploitation of the climate for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, part of the role you envision for this project is one of mitigation and managing scarcer resources in a less hospitable world, and, and so that that's important to point out uh, as we're discussing, you know, uh, how this, this system works to optimize conservation and resource source management.
0: Yes. So, um, yeah. So this ties into the resource distribution system because um, one of the, because um, well, first let's. To define what the resource distribution system is. This ties also into the the surveillance
1: currency stuff that I was
0: mentioning earlier. Um, um, so, what what kind of system can you enable? It, can you create if you have um, if you if you have an entire network of autonomous vehicles that can um, make predictions about where people want to go and end up producing systems that um that deliver resources to people when they're needed right so um so me and Ryan here we we produced a uh uh our capstone project was a resource distribution simulator and so the difference between a normal transport system and our transport system is that the the knowledge of where a person was was an assumption so, if you have that assumption, then you can distribute automobiles to certain locations to be able to transport people, and then you can distribute resources um, at to a uh, to a certain location at a certain time in order to consume those resources. Right? So, so. Um, so, for example, um, cars are actually parked 95% of the time. So, if you, if, even if you had double the amount of necessary autonomous vehicles, um, you would you would still have 90% less automobiles on the road, autonomous vehicles on the road. And so, that that is a massive reduction in the consumption of resources for for cars. And I'm, i I've heard that. The emissions created from actually producing a car are half of what a car actually emits during its lifetime. So if you can reduce emissions that way, that would be great. So back to the resource distribution system. Um, one of one of the other things that material discipline would target would be the uh, the use of um, The use of um, single-use plastics and other single-use things like paper and stuff. So if you if you have a if you have a system that's making predictions about where people are going to go and what what people want to eat at a certain time, you can have autonomous vehicles ship uh, food to um, a certain location. To a certain location based on um, where that person is, and 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 in containers that are sustainable. So um, imagine instead of having, um, say, you want like a Gatorade or something. Imagine it being shipped like to a glass bottle, and then once you're done consuming that Gatorade, the the resource distributor distributor uh, sends those non single use items to a washing station in order to be washed. Right? So that would be a massive, um, massive save on um, the amount of resources consumed.
1: And so your system, because I remember, you know, 50 years ago, very often these things were shipped in glass bottles, whether it was Coca Cola or milk, and glass went away. Largely because it was replaced by cheap and expensive light plastics, which you could throw out. So the system that you're suggesting is one that prices in that cost of waste. Uh, you know whether it's the cost of making new bottles, which uh, you know uh, is a toll for the environment, or whether it's the cost of filling a landfill of old bottles that that takes a toll on the environment. And so maybe one reason why glass bottles were supplanted by non-reusable plastic bottles is because that waste wasn't being priced in and so this the system that you're suggesting is one that takes into account right those costs and so that's why glass bottles might be more efficient all things considered
0: yes so um,
1: yes um, was there something else in resource distribution that
0: I kind of think. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't think so. Unless you wanted to go into um, lab grown meat specifically or more on like transportation. Welcome back to our second half of the worldbuild.ai uh podcast with uh Ryan Boyce and uh Josh Bull with our guest Alec Feather, and um, now we're going to discuss, um, uh, in addition to, uh, to um, um, addition to material discipline that that will be much much very welcome with the uh, with the environmental damage that comes from pastures of of uh, livestock. Uh, lab-grown meat. So, um, Ryan, do you want to introduce us to lab-grown meat? Uh, sure. So well, I guess it's worth noting that like, currently there is development into lab-grown meat. Um, we're relying on the assumption that it will, at some point, become uh, cheaper to produce. Uh, it will be more have more control over like what you can produce with the meat, like the nutritional content and uh like type of meat. Uh ultimately we're we're assuming that the process will be become more uh I don't know what you call it, like common, I suppose. Like uh, eventually it will uh become cheaper and will sort of overtake uh the market when it comes to meat production. Um but ultimately if, if that were to happen then you You'd see less of a demand for uh, livestock, uh, or you'd see less of a demand for uh, meat uh, naturally produced. So then you need less pastures. That's less less livestock producing gases. That's uh, less land being used. Uh, so ultimately, that should see some uh, positive effects on the environment.
1: Yeah, and Ryan uh, raises, you know, the development of of lab-grown meat as an assumption, and the continued development is as an assumption. And that's not an unreasonable assumption, because as it stands, you know, whether it's a cow or a pig, uh, those animals are very inefficient, calorie for calorie, of uh, making food stuff for people. For every calorie of beef you produce, you need 10 calories going into the cow in the form of, you know, in the best scenario. You know, grasses that humans couldn't take advantage of. And in the worst case scenario, uh, you know, corn and other food stuff that were just cycling to animals in order to, to transform, you know, the, the content of, uh, to transform the quality of the calorie, you know, 10 calories of, of corn to one calorie of beef. And so it's very easy to envision how, you know, if you remove these extra systems from the animal that aren't necessary in, in producing something like beef, right? For example, you're not, you're not going to need hooves or legs or fur, right, or or a brain for that matter, you know, not only is it going to be more efficient, but it's also going to be more humane because you're not raising an animal for slaughter. You're just growing those parts of the animal that humans eat, and those parts won't have a capacity to suffer or to encounter unpleasant farm conditions either. And so it's very reasonable to see how this will be uh, resource efficient, but also maybe more ethical than contemporary uh, industrial farming. And it's good to
0: know that um, veganism is really a uh, a good solution to dealing with uh, climate change because um, I'm pretty sure that uh, a quarter of all land used for food development is only used for growing crops. So if you reach a point where um, if you reach a point where um, the climate is devastating uh, crop crop output and um and you need a solution to reduce the amount of land to optimize the land use for growing Uh, if you have giant factories growing meat you're not you're not dedicating 75 percent of the land to just uh be pasture so it would be a it would be a good idea to optimize the land use for for those things, so food food security would be increased um, in, immensely if you have um, lab grown meat available. And then another thing about lab grown meat that's very interesting is that um, you don't have to grow in, in, a, in a, a cut of that's exactly cow, right? So with genetic engineering, you could you could create a, a custom. Type of meat that would be grown, that would be the like the most nutritious, and um, and and stuff that's easier to grow than just traditional uh, steak or anything like that.
1: Right, and I mean another benefit, you know, especially relevant, you know, at this moment in history, is that industrial animal agriculture is a vector for disease in many cases. And so, if we look at things. Like bird flu, swine flu, these are diseases which can jump to humans and wreak havoc, you know, on a society because human immune systems uh, aren't evolved or to uh, deal with right? non-human diseases, and neither are those diseases evolved to deal with the human immune system. And so, it, you know, it's very problematic. And you know, even even in the case of the coronavirus, right, a wet market is one likely source, right, for that disease, and lab-grown meat would do away with. A lot of those externalities, the problems that can arise around uh, intensive animal agriculture in a context like a, 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 a wet market or an industrial uh, farm.
0: And, um, um, yeah, so, um, I mean, a good,
1: a good, oh, natural, i know. wrong.
0: Um, yeah, so a solution to um, dealing with the climate and 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 kind of preserving food security would be to have people go vegan, but it, it's probably seen as a good compromise that people would still be able to indulge in meat consumption with with lab-grown meat and not have to uh, restrict their diet to something. So you know, because if there if people were uh, Forced to go vegan, like that would be there would be uprisings, right? So if if you have uh, kind of a compromise for um, compromise for the what you're actually doing with um, how you're feeding people, then that that would end up being a beneficial to society at large.
1: And and the hope is right that this won't be a transition that needs to be forced, right? It'll be natural because lab-grown meat or meat substitutes whichever you know becomes predominant in the future uh, will be cheaper it might plausibly be healthier as we can make adjustments and modifications to the content maybe we're concerned about saturated fats well we could we could reduce the saturated fat content these lab-grown meats in a way we couldn't do in uh, living animals uh, and so it might be you know very well that there's there's no coercion involved right in this transition at all that it's just natural and desirable that substitutes and lab-grown needs will become uh, the preferred option
0: yes all right so now let's transition to um transition to um the kind of more fun element of this podcast and um so um so we talked about information infrastructure right and um, we talked about um, the surveillance applications of um, that are available once once we have these kind of one-to-one representations of individuals and resources and so um, something that becomes plausible with, uh, the future of um, entertainment is um, is where if because if you have um, if you have the knowledge of everyone's uh, like entire life, their psyche, from their friends to their family to their t- tastes to their preferences, um, you end up you end up producing a a kind of a, a single-handed market for what what people would end up wanting to consume as media right so if you have an AI that can make photorealistic video um, that that um, photorealistic video that ends up um, um, being able to, um produce any kind of visual cue and lo- along with deep fakes that can produce any kind of um any kind of um statement or phrase made from a person and you're using that 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 um, surveillance tech that surveillance surveillance data on on them you could have a custom um Custom media diet based off of for each individual based off their preferences And so we call this multiverse media because everyone is in their own media universe and so um, My we were going to include this in one of the prompts, but we decided to include it here is that an example of this is uh, is um, so I'm a Packer fan the Green Bay Packers and I I I like the pre-Disney Star Wars, so episode episode six is my favorite, but episode four is a really good one. So in my multi in my media universe, uh, I would love to see a movie about um, about um, Aaron Rodgers as Luke Skywalker, and then he meets. Um, Brett Favre is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and, he, and Brett Favre teaches teaches Aaron Rodgers how to play football, right? And then, um, and then Tom Brady is, is Darth Vader, so he's, so he's the, uh, he's the bad guy in this scenario, because everyone hates Tom Brady. And, and then Bill Belichick is Emperor Palpatine, so... Um
1: I'm not I'm not going to challenge your media preferences uh, <laughs> on this podcast but I'll just point out right that you know with uh with artificial intelligence and with the capacity to create and project media without a significant resource expense you know previously it was the case that you know to hire actors and to conduct special effects You need an army of people and resources to make a high quality movie or to, uh, you know, uh, prepare and publish a newspaper. Um, but it might be that a lot of this, uh, work can be addressed by artificial intelligence in a way that makes storytelling, communication, all forms of media much more accessible, right? And, uh, you know, easy to create and transmit. And so, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't be crazy to suspect that you know, this kind of media landscape could lead to a a flowering of creativity because I, I imagine that there are there are so many people in the world right that have great ideas and great stories to tell that might not have the means, uh, but artificial intelligence supplants a lot of the uh, benign uh, or a lot of the banal or you know expensive labor associated with storytelling and media delivery.
0: Yeah. So. Um So um this this could be applied in many different places but like um I think I think it would allow for um a kind of intimacy with your loved ones that has never been seen before. So um for example um if you're having problems with your significant other right and and you and you're not sure how to um, uh resolve those conflicts right you you could watch a like romantic comedy bait with characters based off the people the people in your life with, with you and your significant other and and they could have qualities that map to the qualities that you you uh you are exploring in your certain detriment right and then you could see a resolution of those conflicts through media and so, um, so like a romantic comedy based off of that, I think, would be a, a, an excellent way of, um, of resolving conflicts and such in that, in that sense.
1: Right. I mean, you know, this might be close to the line between utopia and dystopia, but, you know, I just imagine, right, there's so many situations in, you know, human interaction and human conflict. Where uh, problems arise merely because of communication, and so it would be, uh, you know, eminently useful to have uh, an intelligent, you know, artificial intelligence system to give you a nudge, right, to let you know when you're misunderstanding what someone means to say, or when you have a course of conduct which seems innocent to you but might be quite offensive to someone else, right? Leaving out the dirty dishes, right? You know, I, I've had roommates, right. And so, you know, my roommate may not have appreciated uh, how frustrating dirty dishes in the sink were for me, right? Um, but when I raise it, right, as a uh, as an issue, right, it's going to be uh, inexplic- inexplicably uh, fused, right, with interpersonal tensions and challenging them, right, and coming and brushing up against their autonomy and agency, right. And so, to have a uh, abstract um, and uh, uh, non-arbitrary uh, system to inform people about you know, the impact of their behavior or the best course of action in a particular circumstance, right? I could see it addressing a lot of unnecessary, trivial human conflict. Yeah. Um,
0: so that's multiverse media. Um, and then another another component of media that that um, will be available in the future is one of the assumptions we make is that um, so a further extension of um, cell phones and VR technology is augmented reality, where um, virtual bits interact with the real world. So what 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 kind of what kind of things could we develop with uh, with augmented society that are in, in in a in a society where everyone has augmented contacts? And what what kind of things can be developed from that? So, um, an example, an example, um, an example we used. Uh, in this so um, so augmented society is basically um, a way to save resources because. Um, if, if you're, if you're, um, if you have this utilitarian kind of, uh, society that's just focused on the objective function of resources and such, you could enable, um, the, the, the mains of self-expression through, um, Means of self-expression through seeing the world in a different way with augmented society, but then still having um, still having um, your your resources. You can have your cake and eat it too, essentially, right? So, uh, Ryan, do you want to go through some applications of of having augmented contacts? Uh, sure. So, well, I guess first off, society would we're we're proposing that society would adapt such that like like everything would be set up for this augmented reality so it would become common to wear clothing that is like all white or for buildings to have walls that are completely white and black to accommodate uh whatever visual differences you you would see through this augmented uh well i guess through augmented contacts specifically um so for instance uh someone could they just be in reality they'd just be wearing you know just a white t-shirt and white pants but they could uh they could set it up such that anyone who looks at them would be able to see uh really whatever they want like they could be wearing a suit they could be Wearing, you know, swim trunks, you know, like really, really anything, you know, it, it, up to the limitations of what you can, I guess, augment. Um, but, but the same would be true for, you know, like buildings, uh, but also, uh, like everyday objects. Uh, to use, uh, an example that we discussed earlier, uh, if you have, say, uh, your favorite cup, um, that I, it, it, it's very one of a kind, uh, Perhaps difficult to replicate. You know, if that if that were to break, you know, in 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 reality, uh, it'd be really hard to get that cup back, or to sort of to have. Like, it would be (laughs) sorry. This is a really poor way of explaining this. Um, if you broke that cup, you know, that cup's gone. But let's say you just had a generic white cup that is, from your perspective, it looks like your favorite cup. You can you can. See your favorite cup, even though to, you know, in the real world without the context, it's just a regular cup. Uh, that allows you so much more customization. Like you can, it, it's easier to replace. Uh, it, it's easier to adapt that in case your preferences were to change. Um, and really that can be applied to, you know, beyond cups, but really to, I would argue, just about any aspect of your world. Yeah, and that that and that, and that, and that in, in a sense saves so many resources because if you if you have like the most efficient coffee cup that's being able to produce right then you don't you don't need to um, expend resources on 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 things to produce that favorite cup you could just you could just see it yourself and um, with this in integrating, the white t-shirts and stuff with the resource distributor, um, you would end up, um, saving resources based on not owning any white clothes, but having them delivered to you all the time so that, um, so that, um, you would end up, um, not having to consume t-shirts and stuff. And so that would entail, save resources. So, the social the one one of the things also about augmented context is really cool is that things that are projected don't have to be still images. So, if you want to wear if you want to wear a suit and tie with a tie that's like changing colors or something or showing like a video or something, that that would be that would be a possibility as well. So,
1: yeah, and Josh and Ryan both raise uh you know, they give great examples from the coffee cup to clothing. Um, and maybe just for the benefit of the listener, right? I think a good way to summarize these ideas would be: you have material discipline, which is a, a maximally utilitarian material ethic in a world of finite resources and of, of consequences to the climate and to others, and you have a perceptual freedom, which is to say that you can augment your perception however you want and maximize your perception freedom because perception, right? Whether it's in these contexts or some other form imposes a very low cost compared to a material landscape and so you can have all kinds of savings in this way because uh to create a great piece of art it isn't necessary to uh go to uh another country and mine the particular clay right you want to to make this painting right and it's not necessary right to to skin the animal right that you use to make the uh the uh the template right Uh, or the uh, the canvas, right? Um, instead, right, you conserve those material resources and make them efficient and have a mode of expressing human individuality and ingenuity in a virtual medium, medium that doesn't impose costs.
0: Yes, and you have to think about the social implications of that as well. So tying in augmented reality with multi-media, for example, if there's like a giant building to you that you walk by every day when you go to work, Right. And you see a, uh, and you see, um, and it's, and it's white for the sake of the example here. Uh, every day you could see a beautiful mural of, of something that, that could like inspire, inspire you every day that you see it um, based off of the things that are re- related to you in your daily life. Right. So,
1: or the, or, or, or the beauty of nature. Or a news bulletin, right? You could customize this to the individual preferences and, you know, make the most of every individual's experience without necessity, necessitating a change to this public infrastructure uh, to just benefit one person or another.
0: Yes. And so, um, so for example, an example I give um, is that, um, um, if if you're if you're wearing a certain um, the information that can be farmed from um, farmed from um, having having people express themselves in a certain way is is insane. So, uh, for example, um, if if you're like lonely one day and you wanted to talk about say artificial intelligence you could have a you could have a blip above your head that said talk to me about AI and then someone could come over and have a have a have a conversation with you about about something like that so um, the the uh, availability of intimacy for um, for um, how individuals treat each other based off of what is present and available to them um, is, is insane is, is again, is, is, uh, is again pretty crazy. So um, if you're using your surveillance information to have knowledge about people um, that, and, and have that projected in front of them based on, um, What they uh, based on what they what they experience and such, you could you could walk through down the street and match with people based off of like maybe a certain color indicates the kind of kind of person they are. So if you see someone along the street that has the same color that matches with you, you could you could um, you could know that they're going to be a good friend and, and find ways meaningful ways of some friendships from just walking down the street and saying hi to other people.
1: Right, because the the artificial intelligence in this case removes a lot of the uncertainty in social interactions, right, because when when you go to talk to someone you don't know, you don't know if they want to have a conversation or not. You don't know if you have shared interests. You don't know if you're compatible on an interpersonal level. But if if two people have the assurance, right, for example, two people in a library say, you know, hey, I'd really love to talk with someone about chess or about artificial intelligence or about uh, this book I'm reading, right? Well, they can broadcast that signal and draw like people to them in order to have those great conversations they want. Artificial intelligence in this context removes the transaction costs of just humans talking to each other and being with each other. And, uh, and so you know in that way right artificial intelligence could help to kick loneliness in our society people not feeling like they're connected
0: this could also this could also be great for uh, inner country cooperation so if you have uh, you know kind of like a matriarch for each country that's 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 dictating um that's has the um has the knowledge of individuals and stuff, and you have this kind of global connection to certain people based off of uh, how they end up, um, how, how they end up relating to another. You could have massive friend groups based off of international co- cooperation that dictate um, kind of a way to prevent conflict if you have, uh friends in like if say say if this uh say if this system was enabled in uh ukraine and russia and if you had enough russians have being friends with ukrainians and vice versa you could produce a legitimate resistance to any sort of war based off of the fact that oh i have friends in that country and i don't want them to be in trouble so it'd be a good way of preventing war by just having uh, social connections between two countries reach a point where um, reach a point where um, there there is no possibility of conflict because of the uh, the role that um, this cooperation has.
1: And so you're envisioning a world in which artificial intelligence really helps people to be the best they can be, the best they can be in their environment by conserving resources and making sure they're living sustainably, the best they can be in media production and consumption by making you know these resources uh, for creativity available to everybody, and the best they can be interpersonally and socially by connecting with other people and forging deeper relationships. And so it sounds like the vision that you guys have for artificial intelligence. You know, although it deals with a world that might be resource scarce or difficult, it's very optimistic for how it could be implemented. Yeah. All
0: right, I think that was a good hour of content, so we're going to wrap it up here. Um, again, I'm Josh Bull. I'm Ryan. Boys, mm-hmm. and Alex And And we hope you enjoyed listening to us. Uh, have a great day. Welcome back. Uh, so we lied, we said we're going to end it there, but we decided that we wanted to finish our conversation with kind of the role that AI has with governance and kind of the geopolitical landscape that we're going to end up seeing with, um, with um, our generalized artificial intelligence and how like climate change is going to be factored into that. So, um, so. One of the things that really interests me about um, um, society as a whole, Joe Rogan talks about this. That like, um, why why are we not developing systems of government and stuff that are as sophisticated as the technology we have? Right, so. Um, so, um, the Constitution was written in 1776, right? But the, the Founding Fathers would have no idea what, how sophisticated computer technology would end up being in, in this point in time, right? So, when we have uh, a, such a decrepit kind of governance system, right, what... Um and and there's and there's such optimism with like how computer systems would end up um the, how 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 with how computer systems would end up developing new versions of governance, right? Uh how can there be not a resistance to this current like corporatocracy where the people are not really in power it's kind of an oligarchy right so um, one of the things we're predicting is that uh once once the once these um once these um ideas get into the mainstream and once um, people realize the um the capabilities of being governed by an ai with with representation through a uh, knowledge hierarchy right why why would any why would any normal person wish to live under the current system so what we are predicting is kind of a a soft transition from the several corporations having immense power to in, in the US and EU to having a governance system where um, the most educated people in certain aspects uh, hold power in making decisions so and that would be that would be de- de- developmentally beneficial for for um, That would be developmentally beneficial for um sustainability and environmental concerns, right? If you don't have corporations um corporations just destroying the planet. Right? So so that's so that's what we're predicting with this this kind of hierarchy is that e the US and the EU will be kind of Liberated from these things and then um, in other parts of the country in other parts of the world we believe that um, Places like China that the Chinese Communist Party will have a firm grip on on the uh, On what is done so they 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 would end up having some sort of um, representative hierarchy, but it wouldn't be based off of what the people want. It would be based on what the Chinese Communist Party want. right? So, you guys have anything to add to that?
1: Well, I guess I'm curious, like, um, when you when you distinguish the system, um, are you envisioning? a a kind of artificial intelligence powered uh, enlightened uh, despotism and i don't i don't mean that in a pejorative pejorative sense i mean that in like the greek sense of a philosopher king right someone who rules because of their uh knowledge and uh wisdom as opposed to uh hereditary right to monarchy or uh a, a wealth right to oligarchy. Yeah. Um, so, kind of, but you get that from the collective.
0: You don't get that from. Um, you don't get that from a single unit. So the AI is is understanding the the um, ins and outs of everything, right? But the um, the overall representation of the government is being
1: decided strictly by the people. So in the United States it's still a uh, it's still a discerning representative democracy. Yes. where where the AI is providing that element of discernment, right, which might be absent in our present government which is just representative democracy. So it would be a representative democracy with guiding principles or or the wise advisor, right, of the artificial intelligence. Yeah.
0: makes sense. Yeah. So and then um, when we talk, when you think about uh, artificial intelligence weapons and stuff and countries using them against each other, uh, we believe that um, that um, climate change is going to be a grand uniter for people against against any sort of resource-based conflict. And material discipline does a good job. Of um, reducing the necessity of war based on the reduction of consumption of resources, right? So, so um, if if you have if you have a global cooperation between between people based on social media like we were discussing earlier, and then you have a not a, a lack of necessity to wage war based on the fact that people are consuming less resources Right, then you'd end up with um, a way to um, Prevent uh, massive conflict from occurring because um, we, we believe that if, if you can simulate society and stuff that the only way that people or will, to, countries will survive, is that if they do end up cooperating. Ryan, do you have anything to say about that? Um, I'm trying to remember because I know if if you were to have, not uh, forgive me if I'm, if I'm rehashing, um, but if you have uh, countries. Well, let's see, because we're, we're assuming that uh, you can predict, like, the outcomes of wars. Like, AI, at this point, we're assuming that you can sort of run a simulation on what would happen if you were
1: to attempt some sort of uh, uh, attack on another country, or, or if we were to not uh, collaborate. You know, if, if, if
0: the countries were to continue to war with each other, and, and there was no sharing of... of uh, Surveillance information, like like, there's an assumption that that it would be possible to run those simulations at this point, which would then indicate that it's not really a healthy direction for the world to travel in, and that like you're not going to have uh, enough information uh, regarding uh, like what resources another country has if they're not going to disclose that, then you're not going to be able to accurately predicts the state of the world, of the climate. And um, overall, it would be beneficial to everybody, assuming that all countries are on the same page, that that is an important goal um, to not destroy the planet. Uh, it, would, it would overall be beneficial if they all collaborated.
1: Ryan raises a really good point, um, which is that uh, part of the reason for war is the uncertainty countries have about each other, and the fact that war imposes extraordinarily high costs? I don't I don't mean to date this podcast, but currently uh, Russia is invading Ukraine and there's a war in Eastern Europe. Um, it is eminently uh, reasonable to me to think that at the end of the day, the invasion of Ukraine, it was an irrational war for the Russian Federation. Now, it was an irrational war for President Putin but the leaders of that country didn't envision all of the plausible consequences that were uh, likely to occur uh, during an invasion in fact media suggests that Russian leaders believed that Ukraine would quickly capitulate right and in fact invite uh, Russian soldiers with open arms and that there wouldn't be this protracted conflict there wouldn't be this degree of bloodshed right and uh, there wouldn't be this degree of economic cost. For the Russian Federation. Uh, And so the the decision to go to war, it appeared rational in the moment, right? Uh, But in fact, it was subsequently revealed to be irrational and to impose disproportionate high costs. We could impose the same kind of analysis to the US uh, war in Afghanistan uh, and Iraq, but probably primarily Afghanistan. Um, Would senators and representatives? Knowing that the war was going to last for 20 years, right, have voted uh, to invade uh, Afghanistan. Uh, You know, maybe or maybe not, but an artificial intelligence and better information communication, uh, transmission, collection, right, put uh, all of the reasonable consequences of conduct on the table. And it allows actors to be more reasonable because war is typically an irrational decision, right? It's foreseeable that artificial intelligence could help to make war less likely by putting the consequences up front, by dispensing with propaganda, right? By dispensing with, you know, echo chambers, right? That uh, cause people to think that war is a good idea. More often than not, it's a terrible idea.
0: I think that sums it up pretty well. All right, so now we are starting off. Uh, again, my name is Joshua Bull. But I'm Ryan Boyce,
1: and Alec Feather. Thank you guys uh, for hosting me. I really appreciate the opportunity, and both of you sharing your thoughts.
0: All right. Well, that is our World to build.ai project, our final thing, and we will sign off here.